Now, broadcasting on StarWorldWideNetworks.com. It's time for Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Let's tap into your own authentic genius and live the life you desire. Join Dr. Rademacher for an enlightened conversation about our brain intelligence, our body intelligence, and our energy intelligence. And now, here's your host, Dr. Bart Rademacher. Welcome back. This is Dr. Bart Rademacher for Prescription for Your Transformation. Real people, real conversations, and real success. Also part of the Doctor's Guide, Health Optimization 2022. And how did you like last week? You know, pretty cool stuff when you think about it. You know, how it is that we evolved over millennia, you know, with an intimate relationship with nature and nature providing us with all the elements that are necessary for optimum health. And just think about, you know, thunderstorms and electromagnetic fields and sound vibrations all contributing to our well-being. And here's a device that can actually help you achieve that. That's the bioenergizer or the biocharger. And so, you know, check that out. Go to my website, check it out. There's a link there. I don't have any affiliate relationship with them yet, but I will have some at some point because putting a lot of work in curating all these different products, I like to make sure that you're getting the right things. And so today is an interesting topic, you know, because we hear a lot about nutrition. And one of the things that I find fascinating is that there are so many different ideas and suggestions about optimum nutrition you got to wonder, you know, why is there so, why are there so many different, you know, ideas and opinions? I mean, we all have the same kind of gut. We all have pretty much the same kind of biological res- responses. You know, why is there such a diversity in all of this? And so I decided for today to really look into that process of digestion. I think, you know, sharing that information with you is relevant. Because by sharing that information with you, there's there's a logic behind all this so that you can better understand, you know, what it is, you know, and, and you know, part of the, the issue lies in the simple fact that when you don't have enough facts or understanding of something, it basically gets ignored, you know, why it's too much stress to think about it. And when you really don't know enough to make a decision, right? So how do you know you're making the right decision if you don't know enough? So, you know, all these nutritional advocates just make it way too complicated to understand. And with little or if any actual references to what really happens in our bodies. So again, for today, just decided to do things uh, differently and talk about the entire digestive process and, and an approaches that you can utilize to start making some you know, fundamental changes in, in how you eat and what you eat. Now, again, I believe having that information is always helpful because it gives us the reference points to ensure that we are making better decisions because we now understand what it is that we're actually doing. Now, and I've made a reference to this before, but they did want, once a study on tomato pickers. Yeah, tomato pickers. And they found that when they explained the entire process to these tomato pickers from seed to the final product, their performance increased by 7%, which is very significant. So our minds simply work much better if we understand the reason behind things 
and place it in its proper context rather than relying on simple faith or even willpower. When there is a logic behind our actions, we always do much better. So again, for today, how we digest our food. So digestion actually starts off when even before the food enters your mouth. It begins with the thought of it, the sight of it, and even the smell of it. And we can easily demonstrate this by having you just imagine, just right now, imagine you're cutting into a succulent lemon. You just picked it off your tree. It's a succulent lemon. You're cutting into it and the juices are coming out of it. And then you take a nice bite out of it. And if you're like most people, you'll find that you are now salivating and even maybe taste that, those lemon acids. So Pavlov actually uh, that described this very well in the experiment with dogs where he would ring a bell and follow it up with food. And after several times, just ringing that bell would cause the dogs to salivate. And, you know, as a, a side note, actually, this is interesting. Pavlov is the one who got the credit for this, and we always refer to him, this whole stimulus response thing. However, it was actually a William Twitmeyer that first described it, but didn't get that recognition. So the digestive system is an intricate organ that most of us actually totally take for granted. Essentially, it's a long tube from the mouth all the way to the anus, responding to an intricate variety of neurological stimuli, hormonal, chemical, and physical stimuli. And so it's a very complex organ if you think about it. So in order to digest the food and absorb the digestive products, and have and it acts also as a barrier against foreign pathogens and toxin, toxins that can be found in the food in the guts. You know, we have to understand how it then actually works. Because at any time where there is a disruption in the normal physiology of the digestive process, it's going to affect your health due to either the inadequate absorption of the needed nutrients or even worse, the production of molecules and toxins that be, can be harmful to you and also cause what we know as a leaky gut. You know, interesting, therefore, if anybody's consuming supplements, as an example, or has a diet suited to their particular idea of optimum nutrition, let's take Mediterranean diet as an example, you got to take into account Will the gut actually digest and absorb what you consume? Because if it doesn't, you're wasting a lot of money. Now, for example, you actually might be low in iron and think that taking an iron supplement will be fine. But when you have actually a low acid output in the stomach, you know, through, say, chronic acid blockers, and that's perhaps why you got the iron deficiency in the first place, guess what? You're not going to absorb the iron. And there's also a relationship with vitamin C. If you consume vitamin C with iron, it's going to have an impact on how iron gets absorbed. So it's this type of information you want to have if you want to obtain optimum health as part of, you know, through, through optimum uh, nutrition. And so you can follow all the great dietary books, but if you're not optimizing your gut, it's not going to help. So digestion is what they call a top-down process. And it starts off with the neurological and hormonal responses instituted when you see, smell, or think about food. And so since digestion begins in the mouth, that is where the first response will happen. 
you know, um, followed by gastric juice secretions. So the mastication process produces smaller pieces of food. And, and the reason for this is not only so that you don't choke, obviously, but it's the surface area of the food. And this is an important fact, which I'm going to talk a little bit more later on. But failing that, large chunks of food, when we eat in a hurry and don't properly masticate, will not digest well. And, of course, they're going to cause problems downstream. You know, at this point, it, it is relevant to understand, you know, the neural network of the gut. I already mentioned to you that the gut is responding to your brain. And essentially, the entire gut is widely innervated and acts almost as its own brain center. And this is why some people call the gut as the second brain. You know, the gut actually has an extensive neural network. And um, it's responding to not only all the signals within the gut, but also from the brain. And the brain is receiving the signals from the gut, usually through the, parasymp uh, the parasympathetic system. Yeah. So... Here's a, here's a side note, and I want you to appreciate this. Digestion requires a tremendous amount of energy, oxygen, and blood supply to produce all the different types of enzymes that assist in the digestive process, as well as feeding the cells with the required energy to absorb the nutrients from the lumen of the gut. Well, you know, some of the absorption can be passive, but most of it's actually active. And approximately 10 to 20% of all calories consumed are required for digestion. In fact, you know, for proteins themselves, the, it's about a 20 to 30% of the caloric value is required for digestion of protein. So definitely with high protein diets, you're going to be consuming a lot of energy. So think of it in this way. Right? The, the whole body is trying to stay in balance. So if you're in a, stress, a state of stress right, or are actively moving around or just running or driving, the brain is going to shuttle blood, oxygen, and therefore energy away from the gut. This then results in an energy deficit in the gut and thus a compromised digestion and absorption, which will have many impact, uh, negative impacts on your health. So just think of it this way. There is a reason that it's best to sit down be relaxed and enjoy every single meal whilst carefully chewing it so all the body so that so that the body will efficiently digest and absorb. You know, that's why people make a big deal of, of having dinner with family, connecting and this other values obviously which we're not going to go into in this this community experience that gives us you know certainty in life and therefore it relaxes the gut. Alright, so back to the uh, digestion part uh, again. So carbohydrate digestion actually starts in the mouth with the release of a alpha amylase and needs an alkaline pH. And if you go back to school, you got acid and you got alkaline. Acid means a low number and the alkaline means a high pH, a high number. And usually it's above 7 for this enzyme to work you know, best. You know, all the metabolic processes throughout the entire body, throughout the entire system, we're using enzymes work best at certain pHs and will shut down when the pH is too high or too low. And so these are things, important things to consider, especially, you know, in the gut itself. You know, fat and carbohydrates typically need a high pH, whilst protein digestion needs a low pH, which is obtained by the secretion of acid 
you know, in the stomach. And again, this is important to know insofar as how and what you eat. And that's why some people suggest to eat their foods separately um, so that you can best digest them. But more of that on that later if time permits. So production of acid is a critical first step, you know, for several reasons in the stomach. You know, first, it kills many of the foreign, if not all of the foreign pathogens. So it's protective in pre preventing viruses, parasites, or bacteria from infecting the body. So in actual fact, it acts like a, a sterilizer. And the acid also activates the enzyme precursor called pepsinogen to pepsin so that digests the proteins. Pepsin is the enzyme that actually digests the uh, proteins. You know, both the release of acid and pepsinogen, the precursor pepsin, uh, are under neurological control. So this is the brain and neurofeedback, but also under hormonal control by three different hormones, gastrin, acetylcholine, and histamine. So we all know that histamine is related to allergies and causes the typical allergic responses of rhinitis, rashes, and even uh, breathing problems. But here, histamine is involved in the secretion of acid in the stomach by enhancing the stimulatory effect of gastrin and acetylcholine on that gastric cell. So actually, by taking antihistamines will ultimately impact your acid secretion. And examples would be claritin or zyrtec, often used for, for these allergies. So, but on a side note, on allergies and food sensitivities, you know, improper digestion can also lead to an imbalance of uh, the bacteria colonies, the ecosystem in the gut, and can be represent, which can be represented by food sensitivities, allergies, and even atopic dermatitis, which is a skin condition. So while your gut might be contributing to the actual problem, you might be making it worse by uh, taking a Zyrtec. So these are things to, to keep in, in mind. So, you know, while I'm not saying this um, is the case, and as I do repeatedly state, um, these podcasts are not designed to be used as medical advice, and any uh, actions taken by the listener must be verified with their own physician, of course. And in no way, you know, are we going to be able to assume any liability in any kind of decision making that you uh, take, you know, from these series. And so, but my hope is, is that I give you enough information to educate you on the possibilities and opportunities in order for you to navigate yourself to a higher level of health and wellness. I think this is kind of relevant because, you know, as I've noticed is that as I'm researching um, all this material, uh, there's so much to read and, and so much to summarize that, you know, any individual person, even doctors, you know, will be challenged to figure out, you know, um, all the things that are relevant uh, for us today. And so my hope is then again to give you enough information that you can then go to your doc or find somebody who can actually help you who understands what it is that you're actually talking about. So the stomach uh, can actually be compared to like a washing machine, constantly contracting to mix all the contents of digestion. So obviously the food is going to stay there for a while. At the end of the stomach, you have a pyloric sphincter maintaining the products in there to a point. And so, you know, the stomach compared to the rest of the intestine actually doesn't absorb much except for products like uh, alcohol. 
you know, its primary purpose is to break down uh, into macronutrients and then getting ready for uh, the digestion in the small uh, intestine. So again, here it's about increasing that surface area of the food that can be attacked by those uh, digestive enzymes. And that's why, again, poor chewing and drinking large volumes of water inhibits the entire digestive process, as well as other factors that decrease acid production you know, which includes uh, acid blockers and, and refined carbohydrates, you know, donuts, cakes, cereals, you know, causes a reduction in acid production. And therefore, this, this is important to avoid. And therefore, um, the first part of this digestion in the stomach is an important stage that cannot be ignored. You know, high carbohydrate intake clearly has many other problems associated with it. And we can talk about that uh, at another time. But again, high carbohydrate intake causes a reduction in the acid output. So the thought of food and then the mastication causes um, that release of that hormone called gastrin, which then releases the gastric juices uh, and stimulates contractions of uh, the stomach. And we talked about the pH. Protein digestion needs a pH between 1 to 2.5. Otherwise, the enzymes are just not going to be activated. And failing this, it affects the entire digestive process. And so you're going to get fermentation of, of products downstream because they're not effectively uh, broken down. You know, it's, it's also important to uh, understand that um, the absorption of certain minerals like calcium as well as iron, vitamins like uh, thiamine, B2, B3, B6, and B12, uh, all of which are important in red blood cell production uh, and your neurological health and your gene expression um, are going to be affected by low acid output in the stomach. So um, you can see then low acid output will contribute to many imbalances and symptoms. And so taking acid blockers and also think about you know, antihistamines, you know, stop doing that. You know, symptoms of indigestion of heartburn actually causes, uh, and uh, have causes that can be addressed without the need of acid blockers. Um, so an important consideration of acid output is that it does decrease with age. And, you know, specific biomarkers can help you um, uh, uh, to make that determination. And so that's why I'm always a strong proponent for getting the right kind of biomarkers. Uh, some of the standard, you know, metabolic markers uh, can now be interpreted to give us information that we once did not have and many docs perhaps don't know about as to um, how we can determine that you have the possibility of low acid, you know, without putting an endoscope down your stomach. Um, so reasons for low acid output again are chronic stress, um, high cholesterol release, uh, decreased DHEA levels, as I mentioned, excessive carbohydrate intake, uh, deficiencies in, in zinc and thymine because uh, those are needed uh, for the production of, of acid, HCL. Um, certain drugs like uh, steroids, uh, NSAIDs, birth control pills, um, a poor protein diet is the cause for low uh, acid output. And the way to support it is something that's called betaine HCL. 
can verify with your doctor if this is a good thing. Um, so moving on, when acid then enters the first part of the intestine, which is called the duodenum or duodenum, depending where you come from, uh, this is usually about a 12 centimeters in length in which both the pancreas and the liver through the bile duct deliver enzymes and bile acids that support the second part of digestion after uh, the stomach. So the release of the food in the duodenum is also regulated by mechanical, hormonal, and neurological stimuli. And so again, uh, giving your body the opportunity to digest properly is, is important. So don't go for a swim right after having dinner. Um, a low pH in the duodenum, you know, that's being released from the stomach, then actually releases a hormone called uh, secretin or secretin, which then prevents the outflow from the stomach. So it's a, it's a way to make sure that um, the, the chime, you know, the, the stomach products as they enter duodenum have enough time to be addressed in the proper way with the right enzymes. So, for example, high fatty food intake also will slow down that release into the duodenum. Um, so meals high in fat also delay the outflow into the duodenum, which might sometimes leave you with a sense of fullness, you know, for longer periods of time. So just keep that in mind. Fatty meals, it's going to take longer for you to digest that. So that small intestine, our intestine, um, is divided into three parts. The first is the, as I mentioned, the duodenum. The second is the jejunum. And the third is called the ileum. And their origins are actually from Latin, and they're interesting. The duodenum means the 12 fingers, and thus um, the 12 centimeters in length. And it has a particular relationship, you know, with the, the pancreas and the liver and the gallbladder. Uh, the jejunum, interestingly, is the term comes from fasting, as this was a part of the intestine that has rapid peristaltic action, and it's mainly devoid of food, which is discouraging, you know, anatomical dissection. I mean, somebody had to learn it first, right? And then the ileum is the, uh, which means the end, uh, being the last part of the small intestine before it enters into that large colon. And so the relevance here is that. Um, a lot of the absorption of all the nutrients happens in the small intestine. You know, again, the digestion is both mechanical and chemical, relying on the neurological, hormonal, and chemical signals. And again, as the acid enters the duodenum, it causes that release of secretin or secretin that stimulates the release of bicarbonate. And as I mentioned, slowing down the outflow from the stomach. And then now you've got the enzymes needed for the carbohydrate and fat, fat digestion, which now requires an alkaline, so a higher pH, to function uh, properly. And that's why that bar carbonate is being released. And again, slowing down the outflow from the stomach so that all that acid doesn't enter it. Um, uh, there's another hormone called enterogastrone, um, besides the secretin. And what's interesting is they have what's called a feedback loop. So this feedback loop, what it does, it inhibits the secretion of the gastric acids and then promotes the release of the pancreatic juices, rich in bicarbonate, and um, which then will alkalize the chyme. And the chyme is, as I mentioned, 
as I mentioned that name before. Chyme is a name given to the sludge, the like contents in the intestine. So, you know, since the chemical properties of carbohydrates, proteins, and fats are different, they all require different types of enzymes to break them down into the smallest components that now can be absorbed by the gut cells. But more on that later. So you have protein breakdown enzymes called trypsin and chemotrypsin. And that's why, you know, sometimes you get these products that talk about these things and now you know what they are. Um, and these continue the digestion of the protein in the duodenum. Uh, you also have what's a product called, uh, or a hormone called, uh, I'm sorry, an enzyme called pancreatic amylase. This then breaks down the carbohydrates, except for cellulose, which is a non-digestible um, carbohydrate, and which is important because it's important for the, the microbiome, the gut bacteria. So our gut bacteria, a little bit more on that later too, uh, needs a food supply as well. And this is what we'll give it to them. Um, you know, and this is actually why the market for probiotics and prebiotics is so huge. And just as a side note here, word of caution, you know, in the indiscriminate use of these, these supplements might actually do more harm than good and you're not even aware of it. You know, it's, it's also really difficult to advise well on the use of different types of pro, uh, probiotics and prebiotics as some of the leaders in science behind uh, our microbiome uh, actually do warn us. I mean, there's not a whole bunch of evidence to substantiate certain things. But having said that, at the minimum, know what you have know what the imbalances are you have, and then get the right advice from a physician that can guide you in restoring that balance within. And it's actually going to be monitoring you as to what changes are occurring and, and what are your symptoms uh, that you are trying to avoid or to remove. And, you know, besides everything else you do or don't do, right, will contribute to the efficiency of your digestion. So none of this can be uh, really addressed in isolation. And so some people just take these probiotics thinking it's going to take care of anything and spend a lot of money and actually does nothing or make things worse. And so that's why I do you know, recommend getting stool spe specimens and organic acid tests that will give you enough insights as to what strategy it is that you're going to want to uh, implement. And there's uh, plenty of tests out there. Uh, Fiber in America is my preferred one. Uh, they give a great analysis and interpretations that anybody can understand. Uh, Nutraval has some great insights as well, and there's some other companies out there. So back back to the uh, enzymes again. So uh, lipase breaks down fat into uh, fatty acids and monoglycerides, and then there's a, what's called a phospholipase that splits fatty acids from uh, phospholipids. You know, some of these words might be a mouthful, but it's best to understand that there are that there are constantly different steps at different places within the gut, and if any of them are deficient, then it will result in deficiencies in the body and further problems downstream. So, fat and protein stimulates the release of another hormone called cholecystokinin. Sometimes I get tongue-tied on these, so in a short CCK, um, which is transported to the pancreas, and then that stimulates the release of pancreatic enzymes in the duodenum. So 
after, as we mentioned, that the, the chemical and the mechanical digestion causes large food particles to be broken down into smaller ones. Um, and from there, you know, large mo- uh, macromolecules onto smaller molecules, uh, then these nutrients get to be absorbed. But for that to happen efficiently, the whole idea is to create a larger surface area. So that mechanical digestion is really important in in creating larger surfaces areas so that all these enzymes can can work on that so the same thing with the digestion of the the food part particles as it requires that large surface area um, the same is true for the need of a large surface area to absorb uh, the nutrients so when you measure the length of the intestine it's only about 10 to 16 feet long you know for comparison it's the height of a standard you know basketball hoop which is about 10 feet but the surface area is increased by a factor of three times 30 times 600 due to the actual anatomy of the small intestine. Specifically, there are what's called concentric and circular folds, as well as villi and microvilli, which are small finger-like projections on the surface of the gut cell, and thus significantly enhancing that surface area for an efficient absorption. Again, uh, got to reemphasize, for effective absorption, you need the appropriate function and secretions from the stomach, the gallbladder, and the, and the pancreas. And so one of the things to consider is how well is your uh, pancreas actually uh, functioning? So a pancreatic insufficiency, you know, this is a decrease of production of the necessary enzymes, which again results in poor digestion and fermentation of the food downstream, causing all sorts of imbalances in toxin productions. So there are lab tests that will help us diagnose the problem. Again, my preferred one with Vibin America is called Gut Sumer um, because it gives you a wide variety of information that you'll want to know about what is actually happening in your gut, how then to effectively address them with a health optimization you know, strategy. So as an example for you know, pancreatic insufficiency, you know, malnutrition contributes to that. Pro, poor protein intake, sometimes found in vegetarians, is going to cause that. Uh, poor protein absorption due to low acid in the stomach, as we talked, and therefore excessive carbohydrate intake, you know, especially refined carbohydrates, is going to contribute to that. Um, you know, the American diet, the SAD diet, is a major contributor to pancreatic insufficiency. It's a diet that's high in saturated uh, fats, high in fried and fatty foods, high in trans fats, and high in carbohydrates, and then poor in fiber and minerals, especially things like zinc and manganese and vitamin B6 and magnesium, all of which are needed to produce these enzymes in the sufficient quantities so that you can effectively uh, digest and then absorb. Now, excessive eating, interestingly, it produces an excessive amount of radical oxygen species, also known as free radicals, uh, because the mitochondria, they get overwhelmed with all of this, these uh, sugar molecules, and they produce an excessive amount of ATP. And too much ATP then releases too many free oxygen free radicals and due to, to the excessive energy. So again, excessive eating is not good. So um, some of the things to consider uh, with absorption, um, you know, it's passive uh, or, or as we call it paracellular. So it's between the cells. And depending on the nutrient, the cell can actively absorb the nutrient 
um, which requires you know energy, uh, or it can be passively absorbed into the cell. Um, as I mentioned, on average, a person uses about 20% of daily energy expenditure for digesting foods. Uh, maybe it's down to 10%. Um, the amount is also, as I mentioned, dependent on the food. Proteins about 20 to 30%. Uh, carbohydrates about 5 to 10%, and fat um, actually a lot less, about uh, 3%. The water and electrolytes can be absorbed into the tissues, and then into the uh, bloodstream by passing between the cells, uh, and that is, as I mentioned, paracellular uh, transport. And it's important uh, because between the cells, um, you know, we have what's called tight junctions and only water and electrolytes can pass. And this ensures that other intraluminal or, uh, products within the lumen do not pass through. So this is that barrier that we talk about. And that barrier connection between the cells, it prevents this material to pass through. But with inflammation and injury to the gut, these tight junctions might loosen and thus allowing bacteria and toxins and other molecules to enter the bloodstream, which now causes a myriad of problems like inflammation, immune dysfunction, chronic disease, and neurological uh, changes. And this is what's called that leaky gut or hyperpermeable gut and can ultimately lead to conditions that are alerting the immune system to be more active and causing you know, a thyroid dysfunction problem called Hashimoto's. You know, people call that as an autoimmune problem it's an, or a hypothyroid problem, but it's really a thyroid dysfunction um, and things to, to address effectively, not just with thyroid hormone supplementation. You know, and that's the problem. You know, thyroid dysfunction is sometimes confused just simple um, uh, hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism and just treat it as such, when in fact it's the overactive immune system triggered by leaky gut as one of the potential causes that leads to that hypofunction. There are other causes of Hashimoto's, Lyme's disease being one of them. And so these are always things to look out for. So, um, you know, thyroid dysfunction is an evolving topic as well. And so just by simple replacement without any further evaluations is probably not, not really a good thing. Um, and part of the challenge, too, is that unless you begin to really address the thyroid problem properly, if it's left unchecked, it will become a hypothyroid and also uh, other problems as well. So again, testing for the leaky gut is important and can be easily done with a variety of tests. Um, and, you know, as a baseline, um, I, and when I take on patients, I get these tests to really understand uh, what's going on because it's important. And every doctor can get access to these tests. In fact, as a consumer, you can probably get access to these tests as well without the direct support of a physician. Um, now we finally get into the large intestine uh, with a primary function to delay the evacuation um, of all the intestinal products and to absorb water. Um, but interesting enough, the large bowel is where most of the microbiota uh, reside. And, you know, there's, there's a variation in the total of microbiota, microbiome in the entire body, uh, in and on the body, between 100 to 700 trillion cells. And you've, if you listened to me before, you've probably heard about uh, this particular topic. 
I'm sticking with the 700 trillion since we are composed of about 70 trillion cells in the human body. So the math is simple. You know, we have 10 times more microorganisms in our body and on our body than our own cells. I mean, that's a remarkable um, insight as to what actually is happening for a lot of different reasons. And some even consider it its own organ. And if we were actually to weigh it all, it would amount to about two to three pounds, which is equivalent to the, the weight of our own brain. But more interestingly is that, you know, whilst there's about a thousand species of gut microbiota, and we haven't even identified all of them yet, um, when we add the total number of genes in that e ecosystem and compare it to our own, you know, with our 22,000 genes, uh, a total of about 2 million in the microbiome. So our genes, right, account for only 1% of the total genetic makeup that we have. 99% is microorganisms. So it's, it's kind of an interesting number to grasp. So it causes us to ponder and, and or to pause and wonder, what is actually all this genetic material doing for us or against us? And again, we need to take this ecosystem or this organ more seriously because, you know, it's it's not just not doing anything. They're just not you know, passive passengers in our system and they're there for a reason. And it's a part of our evolution over millions of years. And 500 billion years ago, we just had bacteria. So, you know, as I've you know, talked about before and we'll share again, you know, our first years of life play a major role in our gut health and therefore our overall health throughout life. You know, whether you're born by C-section, uh, you'll have a very different ecosystem than if you were born naturally through the uh, birth canal. Breastfeeding is also going to have a, a significant impact, providing the right food for the uh, microbiota versus not feeding the microbiota what it really needs, you know, with... Um, uh, form of food and this evidence um, uh, there's evidence uh, that there's a higher prevalence of illness and immune disorders like asthma and diabetes uh, and those that were not born or fed naturally again this is where convenience uh, against natural works out in our disfavor and for that matter you know whose convenience right uh, schedule c-section for both the doctor and the patient or the busy doctor and the patient right or shall we just let nature do its intelligent thing? And I'm all about tapping into that intelligence of natural. You know, but with that said, evolution takes 10 to 20,000 years, but adaptation, you know, for adaptation of, of certain genes. And with the incredible environmental and physiological, physiological changes in the last 200 years alone, our body cannot manage that well. And that is why since the 1960s, we have seen a rapidly increasing rates of chronic disease, obesity, diabetes, neurological disorders, autism, and more. So again, we have to pause and ask, you know, what must we do to mitigate the downside of all these technological advances? What are the parts within the system that are now being affected? And digestion is a big one, you know. Another thing to think about is that our soil will be completely devoid of nutrients needed to grow our food in, in the next 50 years. So while climate is a thing, um, you know, we don't have to be so draconian, but it does because it does serve a few versus the many. 
But truthfully, um, it all does matter. And what you must now do is learn to optimize your health with all the information at your disposal. You don't have that excuse anymore. You know, and, and here's the thing, as I was just reading today, there's a, a report, a landmark report by the World Health Organization in 2000. And um, they uh, surveyed about 191 countries and the United States clearly spent more money on the healthcare system, but only ranked 37th in overall health and 72nd in overall performance of the healthcare system. And then, um, and, and that can't be right, right? I mean, that just doesn't make logical sense. As, as advanced country as we are, we should be ranking much better than that. And then more recently, of 11 Western countries studied, we spent twice as much as any other country, uh, but ranked last in the healthcare performance. So something clearly needs to change, and it does start with how you approach your own health optimization. You know, as I put on a uh, reel today on LinkedIn, you know, we can't, you know, simply blame the healthcare system or over consumerism or the media or anything else for our ill fate in health. I mean, we have to assume accountability and responsibility for our own health. And with all the information out there, we just don't have an excuse anymore. So back to our uh, microbiota. Uh, bacteria are an important part in making the, the different vitamins like folate, B12, and vitamin K. They're also important in producing uh, neurotransmitters uh, like dopamine or their precursors of these neurotransmitting neurotransmitters. Um, and did you know that 95% of serotonin production is actually in the gut? You know, serotonin is, is that happiness tra- neurotransmitter. The uh, dopamine is your reward and motivation transmitter. And oxytocin is that love hormone. And this is, there's great books on, on t- about all of this that you're going to want to read. Um, butyric acid is produced by the beneficial bacteria in your colon, which actually then nourishes your colonic cells and which actually helps reduce uh, the risk of cancer and so uh, for colon cancer specifically. And so adding sodium butyrate to your diet is helpful if you lack that in the colon. And again, as evaluated by these uh, studies that determine what's going on in your gut. You know, side note on supplements, you know, the FDA does not regulate supplements and many companies do not have third party testing of their uh, products. They also make claims that can't be substantiated with the clinical evidence. And what's even more important is that the levels of the actual um, products might be excessively low or excessively high, causing all sorts of problems, uh, combined with potential impurities. And so that's why it's important that you carefully vet the products you use. I actually like working with uh, Fullscript since they really do a good job in verifying the quality of the products that they sell. But you can also look at third-party um, testing of products. Um, there's a way to do that. You can also call the manufacturer and ask them yourself. And some uh, companies are smart, and what they do is they get a what's called a certificate of sale from the FDA. Um, they provide that to a supplement company uh, for the purpose of exporting it internationally. Otherwise, they're not going to evaluate a product just uh, because somebody requests it. But they, you can get that certificate of sale. And some companies do that just to give you the confidence that, you know, they've got the right kind of uh, product. So it's a proof of quality by the FDA. 
You know, intestinal bacteria also have uh, or serve to protect you from unwanted pathogens. So that's an important thing like Candida or E. coli as they actually compete for the same kinds of food products. So again, it's important that you ensure that you're giving your gut bacteria the right kind of food. Uh, things like uh, resistant starches, um, things like inulin, um, you can get those online. Um, so have, having the right bacteria limit the growth of the wrong ones. So dysbiosis is a term that uh, refers to that imbalance of that ecosystem, um, which is not optimal for health. Uh, SIBO refers to small intestinal or small intestine bacterial overgrowth and then with its own set of symptoms and, and dysfunction. So again, people are using those terms loosely. Uh, the only way you really know is by doing the appropriate uh, tests. Um, but part of the problem with the wrong microbiota is that they can produce toxins that are harmful to the gut lining, causing inflammation and therefore increasing that gut permeability and maltoxins can enter the bloodstream and can cause immune dysfunction and neurological endocrine imbalances, all of that. You know, people with just simply arthritis, I mean, they could have a systemic inflammation and that's participating in this problem. Um, even conditions, all, all types of immune disorders could have that gut imbalance as a major contributor to that. And therefore, again, just treating an immune disorder with these heavy drugs is never enough. And in addition to that, these heavy drugs may cause uh, severe imbalances in the gut that uh, just don't uh, help you. So again, some of the causes of that dysbiosis, I mean, hypochloridia, as I mentioned before, so it's a poor sterilization of whatever you're ingesting. And of course, the poor digestion causing fermentation and therefore imbalances. Um, you know, that high carbohydrate intake, again, low on fibers and nutrients cause uh, digestive irregularities, uh, also in part because of that low acid or hypochloridia. Antibiotics, uh, this is a big one, um, can permanently change uh, these organisms. And um, children less than two years uh, are already uh, exposed to one to two doses of uh, antibiotics that definitely can have long-term uh, effects on your microbiota because these antibiotics don't differentiate between the uh, bacteria. So, um, you know, there's an interesting experimental work that's being done, which is called fecal transfer. So if you don't have the right microbiota, then you could do that. But, you know, the idea is to find better ways to do that with the help of your physician with pre-probiotics guided by the biomarkers and the evaluations that you're making. You know, another thing that causes um, dysbiosis is what's called xenobiotics, heavy metals. Um, and, you know, uh, exposure to um, really pathogenic organisms um, if you're traveling. So a part that I just want to briefly touch on is some lab tests that uh, your doctor might get. And so as you get your lab tests, you might start looking at these from a different uh, perspective. Now there's not just uh, um, gook, so to speak. Um, serum protein, that's uh, an important measure. Uh, which you want to look at whenever we're considering digestion or, the, or how our body is working, um, is a good indicator is the efficiency of the digestion, absorption, and assimilation. You know, albumin, which you've heard of, something predominantly made in the liver. <clears throat> it's an important transport protein of hormones. 
Um, and low levels could be just a low protein intake or poor digestion or absorption. Um, and it could also be a uh, liver problem. And certain markers suggest that, which is ALT and AST. Um, so high levels is actually a good indicator of uh, dehydration, which if you can believe it, over 90% of people are actually chronically dehydrated, which is bad for you. It's a, it limits your ability to detoxify the body, clear out the system. Um, and that's just through inadequate water intake. And it usually takes about two weeks to uh, properly rehydrate, so keep that in mind. Um, another protein is called globulins. And these are proteins that contribute to the immune system, like antibodies, amongst other proteins. Uh, helps with the complement system uh, or the coagulation uh, system. Uh, also works as a transporter of molecules, just like the albumin, but for different you know, hormones and molecules. Um, so uh, what's important here is that elevations can actually suggest um, inflammation going on uh, or systemic inflammation, uh, which is an important thing to, to consider. Another one is the BON, which is called blood urea nitrogen. Um, another uh, marker um, and so back in my medical training and later during my residency and, and totally total of 17 years of training and not because I was a uh, slow learner but um, my career career path was really quite long but this BON is uh, we use this marker predominantly to look at kidney function and now amazed you know how I understand is an ability to interpret these markers differently than before you know, has really advanced so much. And I do fear that many of my colleagues are not familiar with some of these nuances that shed a spotlight on potential disorders in the body without even more advanced testing. And and this knowledge, I, I give credit to Dick and Weatherby from Optimal TX, a great resource. Uh, and so if you're listening to me and um, you're going to a doctor, just tell them Optimal DX, Dick and Weatherby is a great resource to interpret a labs. But an elevated BUN can actually be a, an indicator of low acid output in the stomach, uh, also excessive protein in intake uh, or excessive protein breakdown, but also for a dysbiosis, um, adrenal hypofunction, that's where you know your cortisol comes from, your aldosterone, uh, also what's called a uh, anterior pituitary dysfunction, that's the anterior part of the, uh, the pituitary glands. At low levels in turn, you know, diet low on protein, malabsorption, a pancreatic insufficiency, liver dysfunction, and also dysbiosis. So that can go uh, both ways. Um, other markers, uh, as I mentioned, LT and AST, if they're elevated, um, suggest things going on with the liver or your gallbladder, your bile duct. We also have amylase and lipase uh, that are suggestive of a, pancreatic disorder, elevated if it's a pancreatitis, lower if it's a uh, deficiency. Again, pancreatic uh, sufficiency can be evaluated by the gut swimmer because they look at different things and also those organic tests. So once again, you know, if you have to get anything, get that gut swimmer or get a gut, you know, stool specimen and it looks at a lot of different things. And your final topic that I want to share is the topic of H. pylori, something that causes a lot of consternation and confusion. Um, so having a proper acid output in the gut results in a low likelihood of getting H. pylori since the acid is essentially sterilizing the gut 
and kills off those offending organisms. But the problem is that once the H. pylori, the bacterium, settle in the stomach, they bury deep into the lining, making their own, making your own natural immune response ineffective towards removing that H. pylori. And then the problem is that the H. pylori is now um, uh, acting as a protective factor against uh, uh, the acid production, so it's going to limit acid production. And so it uh, further disrupts the digestion and potentially causes problems like cancer and, and uh, gastritis. Here again, that gut tumor is going to be really helpful to determine if there's an active infection. You know, testing for antibodies will only allow you to determine that you have a response to the H. pylori, but it's not going to let you know if it's uh, active or not. So just in summary, um, I hope I'm giving a bit of an overview of the complexity of our gut. It's not just one tube from your mouth to your anus, but it's, a, it's an incredible complex in so many different ways. And I just recently uh, listened to Emron Meyer, uh, who wrote The Gut-Brain Connection. And then he wrote a more recent book about the relationship between the gut and our immune system. And so it's really important for us to fully respect what it is that we consume, how we consume it, when we consume it, and all the supportive um, lifestyle choices that we make to ensure good digestions. Again, you know, eating on the run, uh, eating this sad diet, um, being chronically stressed, um, and other factors that could contribute to poor digestion will have serious consequences on your health. And as with so many things that we're now understanding is that all of this is easily preventable and perhaps will result in less expenses over time. And so in fact, this will be beneficial to your own personal wealth. So not just your health, but also your wealth. So keep all of that in mind. So once again, I'm Dr. Bart Rademacher. This is Prescription for Your Transformation, Real People, Real Conversations, and Real Success, part of the Doctor's Guide and Health Optimization Strategies Journey 2022. And I coined the new term HEOPS, H-E-A-O-P-S, and that's uh, short for Health Optimization Strategies. So start asking yourself, which HEOPS are you going to be introducing into your lifestyle so that you can live to beyond 100, you know, why not? But with the vitality and excitement to be alive and experiencing new things in the next century of your life. I'm Dr. Rademacher, and I will be back next week. Thanks for listening to Dr. Rademacher's Prescription for Transformation. Join Dr. Bart Rademacher live right here on StarWorldWideNetworks.com or on demand 24-7.